0: So this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, a subject that reflects back on what we did with our kids at the camp, and I know that Jeremiah shared the message um, on divergence with uh, us here. Uh, Some of you may not have heard that, but the, the focus was is to live a life of divergence, is to live a life of transformation, not conformity. We're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, and to follow in the ways of God, we've got to make sure that we're being molded by the right thing amen uh, when I say the right thing we need to be molded by God we need to be molded by the word of God we need to be molded by relationships within in the context of God's church why because we're we're better together uh, we have different gifts but but each of us minister to one another and we one may be weak in this point the other is strong and then therefore what we do is we we undergird one another and we help one another to live our relationship with God out in a way that reflects His character. Would you turn me down just a little bit because I'm getting an echo up here. I don't know about anybody else. And I'm liable to get a little bit passionate up here and I don't want to blow everybody's eardrums out. Um, so, so in that, I want to read to you from Romans 12, 1 through 2. And this is actually from the Phillips translation because the title of my message today is What's Molding You? It's in the form of a question because you have to Reflect on what is molding you in your life, and, and the Phillips translation of this passage really brings that into perspective. Now, in the Phillips translation, one of the things you're going to see, they already have it up there, don't they? You're supposed to wait till I start reading that, because everybody's up there. If you look before, well, now he took it off, good Lord, have mercy, we've got to get synchronized here. You're going to see the word mold is different there, that's because it's the British form of the word, word mold, and I don't have the rights to change that in that passage, does everybody understand that? But for all intents and purposes, the way we'll refer to mold is M-O-L-D. Okay, so Romans 12, 1 through 2. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. So that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. And so what's molding you? If you were to look at your life, if you were to look at at, at the influences around you, the Bible says that there are many voices in this world and none of them without significance. It means all of them have significance. But what is the significance of their influence in our life and how are they molding us? What's the impact that those voices, what's the impact that those influences, those outside influences, what's the impact it's making on us? How is it possibly molding us? The only way for us not to be molded by the ways of this world is to be transformed by God's word, molded by him so that we affect the world around us. The world around us doesn't affect us. And so I ask you the question then, are you being formed Or conformed? Are you being formed by God or are you being conformed to the ways of this world? What's molding you? You might think, I don't need anyone to mold me. I'm an intelligent person and I can figure things out on my own. Think about that for a moment. If God's not molding us, what are we being molded by? And if it's just our philosophies or our thoughts, we know that we've we've been educated or we might have learned things. we learn habits and patterns and, and, and we gain knowledge. And, but where does that come from? It comes from the environment we're in. You know, if we're raised in a godly family, then we're taught the things of God's word. And so we're actually transformed by the renewing of our mind according to the word of God. But if it's just the ideas of man, if it's just the philosophies of man, then what happens is is we are actually being conformed into the likeness and image of this present world. You know, the psalmist said this, I'll put no evil thing before me. Now back in the the holiness days, anybody know what the holiness days was? That's back when they preached holiness. And nowadays we don't really preach holiness. We touch on it, but we don't preach it. And the reason why is we'd empty our churches out if we really preached on holiness. Hmm. Can you give me an amen on that? Because it's true. I know you're sitting there, I don't want to amen him because I'm afraid he'll go that direction. And start hitting on areas of my life and here's the truth of the matter man they lived holy lives when you think about uh you know in in reflecting on things that are going on in our society today look the the conformity of our society to the ways of the world if you will is becoming more and more and more it's it's not less it's more And, and so when you see those patterns of this world increasing and then imposing themselves on the local church and saying, here's what you can preach and here's what you can't preach. Now you're in real trouble because man is defining God. And what is that? What is that pattern? Man then begins to assert himself above God and say, I will define you God for what you stand for and who you are. Y'all hearing me here? Look, people have struggles, they have battles. You know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it works in all of our lives. Can you say amen? amen? It works at all of us. But the thing is, is God has given us a way of escape, and that is the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us by his word to convict us of that sin and to lead us out of that and into righteousness in Christ Jesus. Now, now, now so you know, it's not your works that get you there. It's the grace of God that gets you there. See, who, who would be, um, you know brave enough to say look i got some issues still pastor you know i say but i got some issues really man you know come on see, i'll raise my hand i got issues you know i got issues sometimes and you know, i got issues when i drive down the road you know like, pastor you don't have a fish or a bumper stick or anything on your truck no i don't and there ain't gonna be one because when i drive by them and they see the fish and they're like and that guy calls himself a Christian, and I think he's going 10 miles an hour of a speed limit. I look down sometimes, I'm like, holy moly, I'm going 95 miles an hour. How do I do that? Because it's in me to just go and get to my destination. Huh? It doesn't make it right. I hit that moment, I'm like, gosh, man, that's a sin. That's, I'm breaking the law, you know? You get what I'm saying. Don't look at me so holy. I'm preaching on holiness, but I know some of you got the same problem. I can swear if I took my shoe off, that, that foot is made of lead. It's <laughs> just like, vroom, wham, vroom, gone. Right? You know, some of us have a lead foot where it comes to driving. Some of us have a lead foot where it comes to sexual sin. Some of us have a lead foot where it comes to, you know, seeing that everything that we have is ours and it's not God. Some of us have a lead foot where it comes to how we treat our wife or how we treat our husband or how we treat our children or how we treat our parents. We just race right off into it conform to the ways of this world y'all didn't see that one coming it's quiet as a church mouse in here right now y'all thinking whoa he flipped that one right around yeah whatever that area is for you that is that voice that is that you know it's like i got to get to my destination but see the consciousness of what's my speedometer say is my character i can't preach anymore because i've been in sin Fortunately, i repent of this all the time so i don't know if they could really call that repentance I think they call <laughs> I think you call it guilt. Huh? Come on now. It's guilt. You know, we, we, we can feel guilty, but then we don't change. True convi- what conviction will do is it will cause us to make a change. Now, I'm sharing this with you because normally when you expose yourself that way, right, that if you want to do right, what you do is bring it into the light. Say, if I want to be right, I'll bring it into the light. See, when I, when I get transparent with you and I get real with you and I start bringing something into the light, right? What happens is, is I'm going, now that I've told all of them, they're liable to ask me like, hey, pastor, how you been doing with the speeding thing? <laughs> right? And We can take account in here. That's a lot of folks holding you accountable, right? When we get transparent and honest about what we're struggling with, what happens is, is the tendency is that we'll get better. The Bible says this. It says that, that not to be conform- excuse me uh, that we confess our sins to God that we're forgiven. So I can confess to God and I'm forgiven. But if I don't expose that thing and and bring accountability in my life, I'll never be healed. It'll never that'll never be set right in my carnal man. My spiritual man aligns itself and says, "I know this is wrong. God forgive me. God I forgive you because you you're faithful to confess your sin. I'm faithful and just to forgive it." But, oh, by the way, if you don't get somebody else in your life, and by, Angie's a great accountability when she's riding with me. She's like, you know you're going 90 miles an hour. I'm like, oh, am I? Slow down a little bit, and then it creeps back. You know. Y'all hearing me on this? There's, there's influences. There's the voices. There's the things that we listen to, philosophies. My philosophy is, is i got to get to my destination, so it's okay for me to speed, right? Because I'm going to be late if I don't. No, I just need to leave earlier right come on now those of you who speed in here are going gosh man can you get on a different subject besides speeding because <laughs> right now you're thinking good lord man there's got to be other things people are do i deal with that so get off of it so. <laughs> so with that are you being molded by your own thought processes shaped by your own or excuse me by the opinions of others Are we being formed by our culture today, the trends, pop culture? Are we being shaped by, you know, those that are around us that we care about the most, but we know it's probably not the right thing, but because we love them, we'll give over to that opinion so that we can have harmony? See, they call that peacekeeping, not peacemaking. Y'all understand the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking? Peacekeeping is, it's like I won't say anything I won't differ because then then things will be peaceful. No, it won't. The hostility will lie beneath the surface. You've got to actually bring that thing to the light. You've got to actually talk it through and come to some understanding so that you can make peace. Sometimes you have to agree to disagree, and there are things you can agree, agree to disagree on that are not absolutes of Scripture, that are not absolutes in life, but then there are those things that are absolutes in Scripture, and if you compromise them, what you do is you conform to the pattern of this world. And then... As Jesus said, that if a salt loses its flavor, if salt loses its flavor, we are salt in this earth, he said, and if it loses its flavor, it's good for one thing, to be cast out and trodden underfoot. Let me give you an example of that. How many, you know, uh, during wintertime go out and scoop some, some salt up off the, the sidewalk and, and put it on your dinner? Anybody into that? You know what I'm saying? Go out into, you know, into the street and it's like, oh, they spread salt, let's get some of that for dinner tonight. No, it's good for one thing, and that's to melt ice. Thank you very much. I'm not putting it on my dinner. And we as Christians start getting walked on when we lose our flavor. When we lose the savor of what the Savior has brought into our life, what happens is, is we don't look different, so what does it matter? We say a message that we don't emulate, and therefore it doesn't impact. Okay. You can say, Pastor, this is too hard. Move on. Or got to give me an amen i know it's a hard one just just trust this god's working on me in it first you know anything that comes to you i actually cook and prepare and have to eat myself before i bring it right any chef does that and when i start preparing this i'm like lord you want me to preach this yeah as a matter of fact i want you to get that right and i want you to fix this and i want you to deal with that yes lord (laughs) right you're gonna preach on holiness you better live holy come on now hmm so what is it What's molding you? See, the prevailing thought in society today is that the ideas of the Bible are outdated. That's the prevailing thought of our society is the ideas of the Bible are outdated. That we have become more enlightened, therefore we don't need the guidance of God in our life. Proof, proof in, in point here is that, that we take the Ten Commandments out of our courtrooms. We say, hey, don't have that monument of the Ten Commandments in our court anymore. When, when all the, the, the Ten Commandments had to do with, you understand that, that the predominant focus of the Ten Commandments are the two commandments that Jesus comes, he says, a, a, a new commandment I give you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, strength, in another translation, that, that we're to love God with everything that's in us. We love on him, and we understand that his requirement of us is to love each other. That's what the Ten Commandments is really all about. When you read it, it's like, don't covet another man's wife, and some of the men in the house that are married said, Amen. Don't be looking at my wife, don't want my wife, or you and I are going to have an issue. God's saying, look, don't do that because you wrong your brother. You wrong another person when you do that. Vice versa, don't covet another man's husband, and, and on and on. And so he, he deals with these issues. Thou shalt not murder. Come on. Right? Why? Do you want somebody to murder you? You see, God starts dealing with, here's the issues between you. That Definitely, these are absolutes, and you need to do that. And look, connection to me is what's going to give you the power to do that. Love him with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Ten Commandments was all about. And then what we do is we move them because we just have a, a better understanding now than what God's Word could give us. Prayer out of schools. And we start, we're, we're in life, we don't need that in there. And you watch the statistics, and crime climbed and climbed and climbed and climbed. And climbed. Once prayer was taken out of schools. Christianity is being treated as a problem. And it's not. It's the answer. Christ. Christianity simply means followers of Christ. We're followers of Christ. We point back towards him. He is the answer to the world. He's the light of the world. He is love that was manifested by our heavenly father in this earth. For man's problem and that is sin. For the issue of not loving one another, Jesus comes and what he does is he shows a display of the love of the Father. We love God, the Bible says, because he first loved us and his display was through his Son giving his life for us. And when he gave his life for us, would any of you give your life for another person sitting in this room? Probably wouldn't. Push comes to shove. Now look, I'd give my life for Angie. I'd walk in front of traffic for her, you know. If somebody was attacking her, I'm 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 all in. If some if someone was attacking me, um, she'd probably jump in too. But at the same time, she you know she's a woman, so she'd probably stand. Get him, Derek. Get him. You know, <laughs> is that accurate? <laughs> you know, I'm that that's part of my role is a, I'm a protector. You know, she's a nurturer. You know, and, and in that I promise you though, somebody messes with me, and she's gonna be right in there, right? Uh, I had one instance, and I won't tell all the details of it. But I had an instance where there was a situation, and you know, a young man kind of swung at me. He, you know, he's coming at me, and I just snatched him in a headlock. <laughs> and uh, in that situation, I, I got him in a headlock, and it's like, you know, look, you need to calm down. I just start talking to him, and uh, and he's squirming, but he ain't getting nowhere. But the moment I snatched him up, Angie come in there. I'm like, get back! What are you doing? I'm liable to go to jail for this, and you got to bail me out, you know? So I know it's in her. (laughs) If there is a protector in us, if there's that ability to lay our lives down for one another, if I could say anything to you today, please understand what it was that Jesus did on the cross. It was the ultimate laying down of one's life for his brother, for, for his friend. The Bible says that, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You know, I think of the time I served in the military. And I think of those moments where where we're in harm's way and danger comes. And you've got, I mean, that's kind of the way it is. If your back's turned, that guy's got it. Let me say this, the enemy can get you twisted about sometimes. He can get us all twisted about at times. But I want you to know this, Jesus... As the scriptures say, He is your rear guard. God it goes before you and He's your rear guard. If you find yourself in those places where, you know, other influences, you know, are causing you to live your life contrary to the kingdom of God, then I want you to know that God is there and He's waiting for one thing and that is, God help me. That prayer, that simple prayer that says, God help me. And God will show up and He will help you, amen? See, if by enlightenment, our society is talking about the idea of my conscience shouldn't bother me when children are being murdered, and mind you, in a barbaric fashion. You all know what I'm talking about, right? That our children don't belong to their parents, but to the government, to society. It's another recent statement that's come out in our society today. That, see, the world is wanting us to conform then when we have our children, we turn them over and the state tells us how we are to raise them. Now, look, the state can get involved if there's abuse going on. But let me say this to you. The state's not going to determine how my child is raised. I'm going to determine how my child's raised. So it's, it's vital that we understand the importance of, of not silencing ourselves. I've talked about this for, for weeks now. I know I haven't been here as, as as much, but you've gotten a, a wonderful variety. But when I'm here, I'm talking about this because we see a turn in our society. It is in fast forward mode. And I just saw a video where they were talking about how that you know parents need to understand that their children don't belong to them. That they need to they need to turn them over. They, they need to be raised by the state. They need to be taught you know by society so that they know how to fit in. Oh, you're talking about conforming to the pattern of this world. I would like to keep helping my child transformed by the renewing of their mind according to the word of God. So that there is a standard that's left. You understand, if the standard disappears, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says that God lifts up a standard against him. So if you are a man or a woman of faith, then you are called to stand up in this time where vain philosophies are whispered and chattered and declared from the rooftops, and you're called to stand up and be a witness and a testimony of what God says. Not you know, I know that sometimes when I preach, um, the guys were telling me that you know I get this scowl on my face and I look angry. I'm really not. I'm all excited inside. I love what I have with God. And there is an intensity in me, and that intensity comes from the standpoint that if, if it continues, if it continues, the church continues to be pushed back, the church continues to be silenced, and doesn't stand up and proclaim a message of holiness, a message of righteousness, a message of truth, and a message of love, then what happens is that, that, that aspect of, of relevance, you know, it's like, you know, relevant. What, it's relevant to you, it's okay. If it's relevant to you, it's okay. If it's relevant to you, it's okay. So we have just a mod pod milkshake of philosophies and vain ideas. That is conformity to this world and not the transformation of God's Word. God's Word, contrary to popular be- belief, is not outdated. If by enlightenment... Uh, the idea of traditional family, you know, the one man, one woman, and covenant marriage producing godly offspring that it shouldn't be celebrated, that we should celebrate the contrary. Look, here's the thing I want to show you. Romans 1, if you go and read it, with everything going on in our society today, I, as I talked about some of this at the youth camp, I had a couple kids go, you hate gays. I said, I don't hate gays. Frankly, I love them. And I've seen many of them freed from sin just like I've seen men who commit adultery freed from committing adultery just like I've seen young people who are fornicating and not waiting for marriage freed from that you see my heart breaks for the condition of sin just like Christ well as close as I could be to Christ's heartbreaking I want to be there my heart I want my heart to break over the condition of sin with a heart of restoration why that's why jesus died on the cross that's what the gospel message is that while you're dead in your trespasses and sins while you were dead in your trespasses and sins god sent his son to die why because he loved you but make no mistake about it the shedding of his son's blood the giving of his son was not something he's like you know just throwing out there is is common and the bible actually talks to us about how we handle grace that that if, that if we see grace as a means to sin, if we see grace as it's okay to live my life in any way I want to live. You do what you do, I do what I do. If that's the way we perceive that, the Bible says that we trodden the blood of Christ underfoot. We treat it as common, the Bible says. And we're not to treat the blood of Christ as common. Could you all understand that? Look, if you had a loved one that gave their life for you, and someone's like, well, that's not a big deal, do you think you'd be offended by that? Oh, I promise you, you would be extremely offended at that. And that, there should be something in us that when we see the blood of Christ treated as common, it says, hey, that's not right. See, that's holiness. Can you all understand that? You all, give me that quiet stare. (laughs) That's why preachers don't preach on holiness anymore. Americans, we are conditioned to be told, you know, you're going to make it. Everything's going to be okay. And that's true. But there is a way that it'll be okay. And that's in Christ. I'm I'm telling you, if you, like, we'll all be okay. Everybody's making it into heaven, no matter what you do, and you don't have to come to Jesus. I'm just telling you right now, there is no other way. The Bible says that he who comes by another way is a thief and a liar. We have to have that kind of conviction. See, If enlightenment is that in order for me to be enlightened, I need to conform to this world and not be transformed by the renewing of my mind in the word of God, you can keep that enlightenment. I don't want it. I don't want that vain philosophy whispering in my ear that basically I need to deny my God to fit the mold of this world's thought. I don't want it. So let me ask you again, what's molding you? We have some good examples in the Bible. Daniel and a few young men lived in such a time as ours. Daniel 1 1 through 6 says this, In the third year of the reign of uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, into his hand. And some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God." And he brought the articles into the the treasure house of his god. You see lowercase g there, right? Then the king instructed Ashpenaz Ashpenaz, to master the master of his eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand who had ability to serve the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the, Ch- of the Chaldeans. Uh, and the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, that's really rich food, and the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now they're slaves, but they're going to be slaves that are trained in their ways and have great influence So that basically what you get is you get this people being conditioned this way so that they turn the hearts of the children of Israel towards Nebuchadnezzar. Basically, if I can get the the good-looking, influential ones and I can transform, if I can conform them to our ways and then they turn and they're, they're under me but they're an influence for their people and their people come that way. That if I can do that Then Israel won't give me a problem. You understand, there's a point where slaves revolt. Well, they'll come against those kind of things if, you know, if they've not been conditioned to think another way. I believe, like Nebuchadnezzar, that's exactly what's going on, and that's what the devil does over and over. It's not a new thing. He takes the same kind of tactics. And if he can get the church to begin to conform just a little bit, then, and then he'll take the. And by the way, when you see people out there who used to teach uncompromised truth and then what they do is is now you've got churches that are endorsing all of these kind of changes and they get behind those kind of changes y'all understand you have churches that would actually endorse and say it's okay for abortion i've sat and talked with pastors who say it's okay how does that happen because they have been brought in i don't know if you saw all the stuff going on with with the uh with planned parenthood but, but if you saw what's going on with Planned Parenthood and the exposure of how they're killing children still and doing it deceptively. Now I understand abortion is still legal, but that they're actually breaking the law for the way that they're actually delivering those children so they can take their body parts. You can't get any more barbaric than that. I'm talking about it callously like it doesn't mean anything. The, uh, it, the fetus. You know what fetus means in the Latin? Anybody? Baby still called a baby and i believe it's the greatest plight in our nation to be honest with you out of everything that we see going on right now that is the greatest plight i, I think we're fortunate we do have a younger generation that's starting to come up and they don't think that way about abortion. there's a point where this tide might turn because a standard will be raised another generation will come up see one generation turns to god you watch all through scripture you'll see a generation turn to the lord and a generation turn away A generation turn to the Lord and a generation turn away. And I hope this next generation is a generation in America that turns back to God so there is redemption for our country. (laughs) (sighs) Got to get off the soapbox a little bit. Hmm. If history has shown us anything where culture is concerned, it is that culture changes with certainty. Culture is a sort of measurement or temperature of the people in a society. You know, Rome rose and then Rome fall, fell. It rose and it fell. In the days of its falling, just go study your history and what you'll see is a lot of the things we see past and the things that are going on now, I'm just telling you right now. You go read that history and you just put it side by side and watch it, right? You know, they had the eagle on their standard as well, right? Y'all know what I'm saying there, right? Don't think that America is above falling if it turns from God. We will lose all that so many generations gave their lives for. We will lose so much of the heritage that Christ died on the cross to give us the inheritance that he has given us. When we follow him, his blessing is upon us. Can you say amen? So, uh, B, the second point here, culture shifts over time, but God remains the same. Culture shifts over time, but God remains the same. Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. <laughs> he didn't issue an apology right after that statement, do you know? He said, I'm the Lord, I do not change. It's like, you know, and I'm sorry for that. He didn't say that. He is a rock that does not move, we know that, and if he is the rock that does not move, we need to come to the one that is higher than I we come to him, right, we come to him as he is and understand we seek him as he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not, hey, God, come over here and conform to the way that I want things to be and bless me. He, he doesn't do that. He stands back just like with you and your children. I mean, I know uh, some people may, like, you know, their kids throw a fit, kicking ball and squall on the ground. It's like, fine, you can have it. Does that work for you? I did it a couple times, and then I noticed that mm, I'm rewarding behavior that just starts to repeat itself. Then it ain't happening no more. It's like, pop? You're like, whoa, what? You know, it's like, we don't do that. Okay, you know. Hey, over there, you don't get to play today because, you know, well, don't think that God doesn't discipline us. All I know is when I see the arrogance and the fits that are being thrown in our country today, I can't imagine the spanking that America is about to get. Y'all hearing me here? It, it, because God does love us, because God does love us, here's what the Bible says. That a father, because of his love, he disciplines the ones that he loves. No chastisement, you know, no discipline right now. Seems to be you know, pleasurable or joyful. But what does it do? Afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. True peacefulness will come and righteousness will come when we receive the discipline of the lord now here's the thing you know i've told you sometimes about how raising my kids in the discipline it's like if they're if they're rebellious and they're obstinate and they will not it's kind of like okay you have different disciplinary tactics you use it's not don't beat your children you know spare the rods pull the child there's moments like lying in our home brought a spanking undeniable, you know, to the bedroom. I, I never spanked him in anger. It's kind of like, you know, okay, uh, I'm going to calm down because I'm ticked that my child lied to me, right? And, and Angie, by the way, she's the one, like, you lie to her, I'm just telling you now, you know. Uh, she just didn't have the strength to get it done, you know. <laughs> so I'd get home, it's like, hey, you need to spank him. I'm like, why can't you spank him? Well, i got to be the ogre in the house, you know. So, But I would go in there and I'd say, look, you know, lying is not okay because when you lie, you erase your relationship. When you lie, you disconnect yourself. It, would you see it any different? Don't you consider the relationships you have? You would want them to be honest, and if a person lies to you, you're like, man, I, what happens? I don't trust them, correct? And so we instilled in our kids, that's the, that's the one thing that will garner you a spanking. I only spanked my kid one spanking. Um, Wade's the only one that got two. He's gone now. I can talk about him all the time. He got two one time. You know why? Because he lied to his teacher at school, and he lied to me when he came home. And he goes to school the next day, and the teacher calls me and says, uh, and it's funny because none of them called me Pastor Sissel. They called me Mr. Sissel. But on that day, hey, Pastor Sissel, your son lied to me. How about I become Pastor Sissel to you all of a sudden? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Because, look, let me say this to you. When the world knows you're a Christian, they'll certainly hold you accountable when things aren't going the way that you say that they should be gone. Does that make sense? They know the word of God well enough to say to you, hey, you're supposed to be doing this, but not live it themselves. And let me say, the world doesn't define the church. The word of God defines the church, and the church is to live by that and let it be a reflection to the world. Come on. And so, so anyway, I, I spanked him twice on that one because lying is not something we, we accept in our home. Now, think about it this way. If, if you begin to hang around the liar... What do you become? Hmm? If, if you, do you become like the people, you, the influences I was talking about when we first started the message? What's, influence, what's, what's molding you? And if you listen to, to the philosophies, the vain philosophy of this world, understand that the God of this world is the one that's influencing them. Who is the God of this world? Satan. The devil influences those mindsets and thoughts. And if you hang around that liar, guess what you'll do? you'll perpetuate a lie. You begin to talk about things the way he talks about things, and when you begin to do that, what happens is is you spread the lie. But when you hang around God, you're not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, what happens is you begin to speak the things of God, and it has a transformational impact on those around you. Come on now. Hang around the truth teller, not the liar. Hmm. Culture shifts over time, but God remains... The same. So we need to be aware of how our culture works to, con, uh, to conform us and remain faithful to the transformation of God's word. Hebrews 13, 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, when culture shifts, it will do this. And when culture shifts, it will try to define you. In Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's time, it was the same way. It will try to define you. Daniel 1.7, the chief official gave them new names. To, gave new names to Daniel uh, named Belshazzar. To uh, Hananiah, Shadrach. To Michel, uh, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. It will try to define you. When culture shifts, it will try to tell you, here's how you need to be, and here's what you're going to be. And by the way, know this, the names... How many of you looked at the name before you named your child? How many of you looked up what that name meant? Raise your hands, please. A lot of people did. Some of you didn't. I looked up every single one of my kids' names. I want to know when I'm calling them, when I speak, Uh, Keith Wade Sissel, come here. Right? I want to know when I say that. Now, go figure. You know, I remember thinking, well, I don't really, I I don't want to, I wouldn't go to college. I wasn't necessarily painting a picture for the military for my son. You understand? But smack me, that's what I called out to him every day. Because the name was like, that's cool. I really like that. Right? Here's what his name means Valiant on the battlefield, Keith, and one who advances, Wade. Keith Wade, sis, Keith Wade. Valiant on the battlefield, one who advances, right? And lo and behold, he goes in the military. <laughs> Danielle. You know, Erica Danielle, God is a ruler of the people, and God is my judge. (laughs) Vanessa Elise, beautiful one. See, the world tried to redefine you, define you, rename you. And you understand, when, when, when the pronunciation over your life, you came to Christ, and here's what happens. Say, I am a Christian that's how God defines you. And how do you know what that definition of your name Christian means? The word of God. There's no other place to find it. You get to find that from the word of God, not the world. Two, it'll try to direct you. Daniel 1:8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. This way, he maintained his attitude of worship the way God had called him to worship, and asked for permission. And of course, when he came to me, he said, "Well, I can't do that. I'll get in trouble with the king. He'll kill me if something happens to you guys." It's like, "No, trust me. just give me this amount of time, and you'll see that after it's over, that you know, we're in better shape than, than the others. So, uh, so in that, uh, the third thing that the, the, uh, the culture shift will, will do is try to dominate you. It'll try to dominate you. Daniel 1, 11 through 14. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance um, with that of the young men who ate royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see So he agreed to do this and tested them for 10 days. What is forming you? See, Daniel in that moment, see, the king gave that order, and here's this guy who's in charge of them, and Daniel's saying, hey, let us do it this way. Let us do it God's way, right? And all of a sudden, you know, the guy's like, look, it'll be my life. He's like, well, test us for 10 days. So while I'll try to dominate you, the whole thing is, God will give you wisdom on how to approach those situations to communicate back and to continue to honor him. Let me say this, it wasn't without testing. We do know Daniel ended up in a lion's den at some point. We know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown in a fiery furnace, correct? So it's not without testing, but ultimately the only reason why they passed the test when those moments came is because they were willing to walk the walk and live the life that God called them to live in the moment that mattered in the moment that mattered. When they were being asked to conform, they instead maintained their stance to be transformed by God's Word. Amen? D, and wrapping up here. When we don't conform, we can transform. When we don't conform, we can transform. There's no guarantee that you'll transform because the transformation comes as a result of being in the Word of God. It's what transforms you. But when you don't conform, it leaves you... See, that we all want to know we're all seeking answers and when you don't conform and you're not looking to the world to be your guide what happens is like i, I need counsel and i need guidance and we turn to something most does anybody ever turned to, to people for counsel you ever walked away and gone man that person's nuts <laughs> huh right and one of the things i was talking to a friend and they were talking about how you know uh he was talking about how his wife left him And basically what it boiled down to, she went to work every day and they were going through some problems. And when she would go to work every day, what would happen is is her friends were telling her, just leave him, just leave him, just leave him, just leave him. Christians, she's going to work and she's got that influence constantly because they're having conflicts. And and the worst problem was she was going to work talking about the problems between her and her husband. And so in that, what happens is is that, that, that those things kept being said. So then what does she do? She files for divorce. They end up divorced. The husband's, he's still believing for his wife to come back, all of those things. Uh, time goes by. All of a sudden she's talking to another person and she starts telling them what you know what they've gone through, and it's just such such a struggle, and da-da-da. It's like, well, why did you, why did you decide? Well, just we were going through it's like, you know what? What marriage doesn't go through some of those things? You know, and the person's like, I've been, we went through those things. And and you know, there's times where we thought it was all over, and and you know what happens is is the lady's talking to her, it's like you know, what was the point where you started to really believe that divorce was the answer for the problems you were going through? Well, I don't know. Well, can you, can you think back on it? Well, yeah, I guess, you know, when I would go to work, I would tell my friends what was going on, and they all told me to just leave him. Y'all hearing me here? If she'd have gone to the Word of God, guess what she had found out? God would have been saying, forgive. Show grace. Yeah, the husband wasn't perfect, you know. And, and look, you can flip this situation. You know, husbands and wives that go through challenges and trials. But ultimately, it comes down to this. Will God join together? Let no man separate. You don't even ha- really have the authority and the power to separate yourself. Now, obviously, in, in specific situations, if there's abuse and there's, look, it's, it's, that's not okay. I w- as a pastor, I would say, you can't be with that person if that's the way they're going to treat you. You get me? Normally, what that brings, you know, I've had men show up here at church I had one show up with a gun one time, you know, and it was kind of like, you know, you know, you told my wife to leave me, blah, 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 and I'm going to kill you. I'm like, well, bring it on, baby. All I know is you better hit me with that bullet because, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'll pray for you, but after I take you to the ground, you know, like special forces style, you understand what I'm saying there? I'll wrap him up, pin him down, and then we'll just have a prayer time, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I know there's people in here that need to hear this today. You know, see, see, one of the things I was <laughs> talking to somebody like, well, you guys talk about family and marriage and everything, but, you know, there's as many divorces in the church as there is in, you know, in society. And that's about how you respond to that, because it's true. And it's part of what brings deep conviction to me, because how can we tell somebody else if we don't live it ourselves? And I would encourage you, look, you know, it's like, well, I've been through a divorce. Does that mean that, I, look, God's grace is, is wonderful. And that's the other awesome thing that the world doesn't seem to understand about the church. We are stinking messed up. That's right. Come on now. Give me an amen. We're messed up. We are. And thank God we've got a Savior. Thank God we've got a Savior. We, we can mess something up, and he will give us grace to come out of it he won't give us grace to stay in it and if the stats show that we look like the world the problem is is we're staying in it we're not accepting grace as an invitation to leave it we're, we're accepting grace as it's okay and keep continue to do it y'all hearing me i'd proudly say and when i say proudly proudly that our congregation has heard many sermons by me where i i challenge them that Divorce is an absolute, absolute, absolute last resort. And we may have seen, you know, five, six divorces as a congregation. I'm not talking people who walk through the door on a Sunday and it's like, hey, we've had ten years of bad marriage. Wave your magic wand and fix it. (laughs) Ten years? Uh, You got ten years to walk out of that problem? You know, like, huh? (laughs) But maybe six divorces over that course of of Ten years that we've seen over the last 10 years, maybe 10 divorces, or six divorces over 10 years. And I thank God for that. And it it speaks to the character of this congregation. It's something I believe that that we need to emphasize more and more. Because I know this too, when I'm at the gym and I'm talking to people, you know, half of my relationships, people are going through divorces. Half of the relationships there, and when I begin to talk to them, you know, I'm watching them like, huh and one guy who started going home he didn't come to church that's church for him you know right now and when we talk he goes home he's like dude some of that stuff you talk to me about like I, I like apply that with my communication with my wife and, and she's like and I'm gonna say this you know non-believers don't get like you know certain things like you know dude I don't want to know that you know but but here's the deal he's like man she's all hot for me when I talk to her that way I'm like okay but absolutely, man. Let me tell you, there's a way you talk to your wives, right? And she's going to see you as more attractive. You know, if, if you think it's your physique, trust me, you know, the hair will fall out. <laughs> yeah, you know, beauty's fleeting, right? But man, character—there's something attractive about character. It's internal, and when it manifests itself in your relationship. See, that's longevity. You know, that outward appearance will fade. This world wants all of us to conform to that. The millions and millions of dollars spent on plastic surgery and makeup. It doesn't mean you can't wear. For God's sake, please, you know, wear makeup. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah! I probably said that the wrong way. (laughs) Angie's not in here, so you know. (laughs) Oh snap! (laughs) You're supposed to be sitting there. I thought you were dealing with an issue in children's church (laughs) i did that as a joke anyway so listen we don't conform we transform we end listen we end up breaking the mold of conformity when we see god's word as our guide what happens is as we're in the word of god and it fills us Somebody says something, and it's like, you know, the Bible says this, though. That seems to be very contrary to the way God thinks. And so what happens, see, that, that, it, can't, it can't mold us because it's broken. We break its power over us because we're act- actually looking to the Word of God to be our guide. And, and when you fill your heart with the Word of God, guess what happens? You don't filter God's Word through the, through the philosophies and the, the ideas of the world. What happens is, is the ideas and the philosophies of the world filter through you. You know, I'll say this, being in the military, the leadership manuals that I went through when I would see how the military structured and there's this and this, and I'm like, that's what David did in the Bible. The U.S. Army didn't do that. David did it, and God's the one that told him to structure it that way. And, and because I'd read the Word of God and now I'm being trained in these military manuals, I'm going, oh, that's in the Bible too. And I started seeing all these things that are in the Bible, and I saw some things that aren't in the Bible. And those are okay, but, you know, that's culture, that's, you know, trends, that's all that stuff, and I'm going to make sure that I keep the Word of God in me so it's constantly filtering the philosophies and the ideas of the world through God's Word. Amen? Did did, did anybody ever wonder why Israel has half the Nobel Prizes in the world? That the Jews have half the Nobel Prize awards? You know, they were God's people, right? I believe that Christians there's a point where we step up to that standard. That when we go to the Word of God and we seek God, do you know what the Bible says? He'll give you witty ideas. I believe that, and and I'm not a name it, claim it, frame it guy. Look, you're going to have to put some hard work to it. You're going to go through challenges and trials. But I do believe God wants you to be the most blessed people on the face of this planet. And he wants people looking at you going, man, how are they doing that and coming asking you? Like, how how are you doing this? It's like, well, first and foremost, I've got to honor God in that. Uh, he's the one that gave me the idea. I remember sitting in prayer one time and he just said, boom. You know, you know, one prophetic word, you know what a prophetic word is? It's a word from God to man. And many times, the way it works, he can give you that, in a sense, it's a word to you at that point, it's a rhema. But a prophetic word tends to be a word from God to man, through a man, or a woman. That you're sitting with a friend and all of a sudden they're like, hey, I don't know, what, I just sensed God said that you need to do this, this, and this. I don't know what all that means, but and I've seen that happen, and I've seen people's lives blessed over and over. I've seen businesses flourishes. I've seen new businesses formed. I've seen all those kind of things happen, and we need to be those kind of believers where that is what's flowing out of us. Can you say amen? So Daniel 1.20 says, In every matter, say every matter. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times, say ten times, ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters By the way, that's that that conformity, the ways of the world bringing revelation to the king or bringing ideas to the king. And then here's Daniel and them going, well, God's the one that revealed this. And so better than uh, all the magicians and the enchanters in his whole kingdom. So here's what I want to leave you with. Will I change the world or will the world change me? Will my identity come from God or from the world? Will I change the world or will the world change me? Will my identity come from God or from the world? Romans 6 and verse 3 says this, For sin's power over us was broken when we became Christians and we were baptized to become part of Jesus Christ. We're meant to be a part of the body of Christ. We're meant to be connected with our Savior. We're meant to let the life... Look, when Jesus is walking around, can it be argued that he was the greatest man to ever live? Honestly, Has anybody else ever rose from the dead? Anybody else ever heal the sick, restore sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf? He is the greatest man. He was all God, but he was all man. He was tempted in every fashion that we were tempted. The thing is, he was the greatest man to ever walk, and he has called us to walk in his footsteps. And oh, by the way, not by yourself. He actually says that all authority has been given to him and he commissions you. He says, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you to do. Lo, say lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a day where this age will end and all accountability will come flooding in. We'll all give an account for our life. Whether we were saved or unsaved, everyone will stand before the throne of Jesus Christ. The great white throne judgment is what they call that. The scripture gives us a picture of being molded just like a potter molds clay. The prophet Isaiah uses this a couple of times. Isaiah 45 and 9. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it? Saying, stop, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? I don't know about you, I've had my moments of questioning God on, what are you doing? Why is this going on in my life? And why is this? And why is that? A long time ago, God spoke to me when I was in one of the hardest seasons of my life where all I had for God was why, why, why. He goes, Derek, you're asking me the wrong question. The question you need to ask me is what now? When those things come, they come and they pass. It comes to pass. But you need to know what now so you can move forward and not be constantly looking back and asking the question why, but rather getting a hold of God and knowing the what now for your life. Amen. Isaiah 64 and 8 as we close. And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We all are formed by your hand. Amen. Stand your feet with me if you would. I want to remind you to, as you're going about your daily business through the week and hanging out and all those things are going on, would you close your eyes right now and identify with this maybe? When culture shifts, there's a lot of shifting going on and I don't want to get stuck on just talking about what's going on in our society, but because there's so much that's been changing around us, I felt it very important to speak to all of you and and even myself on how we can keep our path straight. This week, would you maybe take some time and identify this? Eyes closed and reflect on what's going on in your life. One, how's the world trying to define you? Two, how's it trying to direct you? And three, how's it trying to dominate you? And here's what I would say. Those vain philosophies and that that invitation to conform. It is the enemy of God. We're to take every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're supposed to take it captive. So what I'm to ask you to do is a little bit of warfare spiritually this week. Identify some of those things and begin to pray God. Break those, break those philosophies. Break those kind of thought patterns in my life. And begin to meditate on God's word and let it change you and transform you so that he's able to do all that he wants to do in your life that's what that first passage in Romans says is see it's so that you can experience what god has for you his good acceptable and perfect will for your life you can only experience that if you're transformed by the renewing of your mind and not conformed to the pattern of this world heavenly father i thank you so much for your word god i love your word i pray god that as a church that that um, our love for your word will continue to elevate and just be, God, it would be, uh, if you will, the, the magnifying glass. What we see life through, Lord, is what your word says, that we filter all those other mindsets, all those other philosophies, we filter them through your word so that, God, we can live the way you called us to live. And, Lord, although that passage tells us there's the good and acceptable will of God, Lord, I ask that you continue to work in us to where we come to full maturity and we're walking in the perfect will of God. Because it's in those places, Lord, that we begin to see amazing miracles take place. There's, there is that good acceptable where we're working with you and, and, and Father, we're being disciplined and we're doing those things, but there's that point of rest. We enter into your rest where the perfect will of God is at work in our life because we're simply yielded to you, yielded to your ways, and yielded to your will. Father, I pray for all of us that this week we do a little bit of assessment on where we've allowed the vain philosophies and and ideas of the world to enter in and deceive us to where Lord, we're not focused on where you're taking us. We're focused on just where we are and where we hope to go. But uh, Father, we need your word to be a guide to each of our steps. As the psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. God, it it lights every step and it lights the the direction we're going. So Father, I pray that. I'm going to pray that in the morning hours, uh, the night hours, whenever you, our members get that time to spend with you, Lord, would you just, by the Holy Spirit, still small voice, speak to them so clearly that God they walk out of those moments with excitement, that their life is being guided by their heavenly Father and uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. Bless you. Have a great week.